the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Uh, Let's begin. Let's make a start. So in this series together, uh, we're thinking about these four closely related topics, uh, singleness, friendship, uh, marriage, and uh, dating. Today, you might not be surprised to, to know, we're talking about marriage. Um, so this morning, we don't want to talk about marriage in general. Uh, we want to talk about marriage in church life, in life together, in community. We're not here to give tips on what makes a good marriage, uh, and we're not in a qualified expert position to do this. We are not the pinnacle of married life. We're here to talk about what we think the biblical context for marriage in our church community and in life together is. Uh, We want to talk about how marriage can support, bless, and benefit church life and our life together, and vice versa. Um, they're introducing ourselves. I'm, I'm Claire. I'm Simon's wife. Uh, <laughs> that's from our first date, um, as you can probably tell. Um, I'm also mum to our two boys, uh, who are five and two, and I'm also a social worker, and I work in child protection and safeguarding. Um, my name is Simon. I'm husband to Claire, um, dad. I work in, uh, in tech um, and in sales. I'm also one of the leaders uh, at the church. And I think it's absolutely essential that every young man goes through a big hair phase. <laughs> so thinking about... Um, Thinking about the Bible, we look at it, we're looking at Luke's account of the life of the early church. Um, and we just find this tantalising glimpse of what life together as a family of Jesus' followers might look like. Luke states that all the believers stayed together, they shared everything. And it's our hope and prayer for Belmont that together we increasingly become this countercultural, counterintuitive kingdom community place where in step with the spirit the character and the ethics of Jesus are lived out and they look compelling solid and attractive to the world around us a place where we share life together so if that's going to be us it's really important that we see and grasp what the Lord Jesus has to say about how we can support bless and benefit one another in the diverse and different aspects of life singleness friendship marriage and dating This isn't about those as topics or issues. It's about people living together, real people following Jesus together in the day-to-day. That's great. I think we really just (coughs) got to bear that in mind, that we're not talking about issues or topics. We are talking about real people, real people following Jesus. So we've been planning this series for a little while, and uh, you you saw um, the the topics that we've been been thinking about but you know how life gets and diaries get complicated so the the talks and the order of the talks and who's speaking in them has moved around quite a bit 
as we, uh, as we were planning this series. But the one thing we really, really, really didn't want was that they would go in the following order. We didn't want them to go in the order of singleness, then friendship, then dating, and then marriage. As if there was some church-endorsed conveyor belt ending in marriage. That is really, really not the case. And I hope, uh, certainly if you've listened to the two talks, which you can catch up with on YouTube, uh, that you won't have got that impression as you can uh, from the singleness and friendship uh, talks. But I, I say that and you laugh, but too often, we, whether we realise it or not, uh, we're often telling a story that life is lived happily ever after when you find a husband or a wife. And at this church, we want to hold singleness and marriage in the same way the Bible does. And so if we go back and look at our Bibles, we'll be, we'll be well placed as a good place to start. And one of the things I want us to spot is something pretty striking. Here's a, here's a question for you. Um, and a question I often ask myself, or particularly someone who's perhaps new to the faith. What's so new about the New Testament? What's so new about the New Testament? I wonder how you might answer that. Here's one insight for you. One of the most radical differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that in the New, the biological family seems to matter a whole lot less than it used to in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, having a wife and children was seen as a sign of God's blessing. You could just take a look at Psalm 128 to see something like that in action. But in the New Testament, it's really noticeable that that stress is now on the new family, on the new family of the church, rather than solely on the biological family. I wonder whether you'd notice that, that difference between the Old and the New Testament. And so the challenge for us as church, really, is to avoid the, the misstep of overemphasizing nuclear Western family life. The impression that we can perhaps unintentionally give is that the church is made up of biological families and that unless you are a part of one of these conveniently shaped building blocks or you're on your way to becoming one of them, you won't fit in. That is absolutely not the case for the wonderful, beautiful new family that Jesus is creating. Now today I said we're looking at uh, marriage and I think it's really helpful for, for me just to show you where we're coming from so that you can see where this church is coming from. And from my standpoint and our standpoint uh, on marriage, we're convinced that everyone is welcome, that the invitation to follow Jesus is truly for all. We believe that marriage is a lifelong union of a man and a woman. And we believe that this speaks profoundly of the good news of Jesus and the church. And we just as passionately, just as passionately, believe that the riches of God's grace meet us, you and me, in, our, in the everyday and the realities of our lives. 
in particular, God's grace meets us in all of our relational brokenness, whether we're single or married this morning. God meets us in all of our relational brokenness, whether the pain point for you today is bereavement, whether the pain point for you today is loneliness, whether the pain point for you today is separation and divorce, whether the pain point's ill health, sexual struggles, pride, greed, hatred, or plain indifference, whether you've sinned or whether you've been sinned against. God's grace meets us in the realities of our lives, and we believe God's grace and his mercy are alive and well and amongst us this morning, and we're working it out together. That's what we're up to. Well, marriage is a gift of God in creation. So goes the Anglican service, and that's how it starts. And you hear about marriage in all sorts of different places in, and in all sorts of different contexts, whether that's out in the wider culture or amongst followers of Jesus. But just because we're using the same words doesn't mean we're all speaking the same language. Often we're talking past each other. And as we've been mulling this over, uh, we've come to the conclusion that really it's something like this. Marriage in the culture is inward looking and marriage in the kingdom is outward looking. The 21st century marriage, like much of modern life, has taken on a therapeutic or fulfillment and personal satisfaction approach. It's really, really easy for me to pick on a, a mushy love Pinterest, so I'm going to. Um, here it is, one quote about modern marriage puts it this way. A successful marriage is falling in love many times, always with the same person. There's uh, buckets just at the side of your rose. Um, it's about, and it is easy for me to pick on this, isn't it? It's a bit of a straw man. But I think it actually sell, says something about what the culture is selling and what it wants us to think about relationships. It's about barring the doors to everyone else because you found the one. Yeah? It's about this special, exclusive unit of two. Our unaccountably uh, atheistic and materialistic friend, he is always on about finding the one. And you ask him how his love life is going, and he's either uh, praising destiny because this is the one, or he's cursing fate because this isn't the one. Now, we have um, two children, Henry and Ben, and when you have a child, everybody talks to you about who needs to be involved in the raising of the child. You often get that line, don't you? It takes a village to raise a child. In culture, there is no corresponding expectation or equivalent for marriage. Our culture views marriage as this self-sufficient, self-reliant, secure unit of two, barring all the doors, you found the one. And broadly speaking, marriage and culture then is, for me, 
It's for me. It's for my own satisfaction, my fulfillment and my success. That foundation is sand. The Bible's vision for marriage differs from the world's vision for marriage. Not just because it's built, because it says, it disagrees with the culture about who can and can't participate in it. It's more fundamental about that. We disagree with the culture on what marriage is for. It's not for me. It's for the other. It's for God, for the community, for your spouse. My favourite grumpy Christian author, Carl Truman, puts it this way. When I vowed to love my wife in sickness and in health till death do us part, I was not referring to her ability to help me achieve some nebulous journey of personal fulfilment. I meant that I would love her and care for her until death parted us, whatever terrible toll ageing and illness might take. So we've been thinking about how marriage in the kingdom isn't about two people exclusively just keeping themselves away from the rest of the world, but how it's outward looking and looking out into the world. Whether it's the overflowing marriage depicted in Proverbs 31 that provides warmth, shelter, food for family, community and those in need. When we think about a great biblical romance or marriage, you might turn to the story of Ruth and that was one that we looked at. When we looked again at the story, it struck me how in that wonderful Old Testament story, this beautiful network of connections is born. It's not about the couple. Ruth's first marriage actually binds her in this lifelong friendship to Naomi, her mother-in-law, a relationship which actually outlives her marriage. Ruth's protection in her second marriage and the blessings of her family life are extended to and shared wholeheartedly with the widow Naomi. The joy of Ruth's marriage and her child is Naomi's joy. And in fact, that, that's the joy of all of the women in the community who surround them and kind of sing this praise song for, for how the Lord has redeemed this really difficult situation and brought this new family alive. In the passage, when Ruth has her baby... She takes him and gives him to Naomi, and Naomi raises him, and the women in the community say, the Lord has given you a son. And there's no biological relationship between Ruth and Naomi. So marriage has been a way in which these new family relationships are brought together, family life is shared and extended to those who otherwise would be alone. Marriage offers some, often offers some very particular blessings, but these are blessings that should be shared. They're not designed to be selfishly harboured in the unity of the two people in the marriage, often the way culture builds it. It's often, but not always, but often in marriages that a lot of the social capital and financial capital of the church resides. Married couples often provide larger homes where people can meet, that financial stability, that relational stability, children and family life. Not always, but often. And that stability, financial security or other blessing should be shared freely and generously with the church and the wider community. 
the outward-looking marriage, sharing homes, meals, holidays, festivals, money, family life with others from different backgrounds and situations. And I know that there's loads of wonderful examples of that within this church family as well. Mm. So many, and we have been on the receiving end of so, so much of that, uh, whether it's... Um, Mark Barlow helping me build our marriage bed. <laughs> I think his question was, do you have any tools? <coughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, so we went over to the shops and bought some tools. Whether it's uh, Paul and Joy Winfield, who are our marriage uh, befriended couple. This is an older couple who are kind of, uh, who take you under their wing when you first get married and so on. And, and we recently had the, the joy of being able to do that for uh, Ben and Laura. Um, which is just fabulous, being able to uh, share not just stuff, not just stuff, but share, share our lives. I was really blessed this week um, by a couple who shared breakfast with me. I bumped into them uh, in McDonald's on Thursday morning for breakfast. This is a great time for me to <coughs> apologise to Claire for going to McDonald's for breakfast Again. on a Thursday morning. Again. I had to... Uh, <laughs> It's great to confess your sins to one another. And, uh, but, but, but I was there and I spotted, spotted this couple and they, they were having actually quite a, a deep conversation. They were actually talking about last week's topic, which was about friendship. And uh, there was an opportunity there and they, uh, they gladly opened up their table and we had our Egg McMuffins together <laughs> and, talk, and, and talked about uh, really serious, deep things. We were talking about Christian friendship. And in fact, we were touching on the fact that it really is possible in marriage to be lonely too. So we're having pretty deep, sharing life conversation uh, there in McDonald's. And it was clearly the Lord's time and it greatly blessed me. And I hope uh, it blessed them. Um, so one of the most read articles on the blog Living Out, which is an organisation to help churches and society talk about faith and sexuality, is called Singles Need Family Time Too. And I know this singleness um, talk touched on this a lot. Um, marriage done well should and can be a blessing to the community in which it finds itself, sharing generously the benefits it receives with the church family. And the believers in the early church who shared everything together show us that family life is not a blessing to be exclusively contained within marriage. Children have many godparents, official and unofficial, and family life can be shared with many generations. But also, and we see that in that story of Ruth, children can be raised in a variety of settings and relationships which can become family to them in the most beautiful and biblical way. And... As a social worker, this is something that I, I see professionally, that although we believe, we really believe that marriage is the best setting for biological children to be born, I see within my work setting that children can be fostered or adopted by anyone, married or single, older or younger, wealthy or less wealthy. And a church family can be a key support to those undertaking that journey either of adopting children from within our own families, like the Ruth and Naomi story, or children who are in need, children who are in need of fostering or adopting children previously unknown to them. So let's be open and encourage and support one another, regardless of whether we're single or married, if people are undertaking that journey. Perhaps you'd like to take that 
that question if you are if you are married um, and or that's that statement use it as a question that could be one for, for tea and coffee it could be one for for later in the day where might that conversation lead you I mean it really could lead as far as uh, fostering and adoption or something like hospitality wouldn't it be wonderful at the end of this together series at least someone had been offered a holiday wouldn't that be great you know just to see where it can take you the the sky's the limits in terms of generosity and the sharing of our life uh, together so um we, we're going to come now then just to, to bring us to, I guess, to a close really and then to look towards the, the communion table. And I mentioned a word earlier and I wonder whether you picked up on it. It's a phrase. It's quite Disney-esque. Um, it was uh, happily ever after. I mentioned it rather dismissively, didn't I? Um, but the truth is that there are some things that last forever. God has set eternity in the human heart and so deep down something in that happily ever after as disney-esque as it might sound to you something in that is deeply true that's why it connects with us that's why the stories deeply connect with us we're quick however to put happily ever after onto the wrong things we're quick to put happily ever after and the hope and the desire that comes with that onto earthly relationships in the here and now. But quite simply, it, it can't. None of them can carry that weight. So we need to um, hit the realism button. I wish we had that in front of us kind of every week at church. Let's hit the realism button and talk seriously about marriage. All human marriages, they begin with joy, but they end in tragedy. Whether it is divorce or death, the human bond of love is eventually torn apart. Those aren't words with which you begin a wedding service, <laughs> but, they are, but they are just very, very true when we stop, pause and think about it. Things fall apart. The centre cannot hold. Our marriage can't carry the weight of happily ever after. Our marriage can't carry the weight of those deep, eternal desires that God has placed in our hearts. Our marriage is actually working well when it points to and hopes in something that truly lasts. Ours, even if it should last 50 to 60 years, is a momentary marriage. All marriages are momentary marriages and they point to something greater. When we look forward with Jesus to the very end of things, to Jesus uh, at, at the close of history, at the resurrection from the dead, we see marriage surpassed. It's been fulfilled. It's been completed. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words about the end of all things. He said, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land <coughs> desolate, but you'll be called Hetzbah, delight, and your land Bula, married. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder, that's God, so will your builder marry you. 
as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. In a moment, uh, Clive's going to lead us in communion. Uh, I'm going to read this last line, and then let's just take a moment before Clive comes to the table. So having said all this, even the longest and happiest of marriages is a momentary one. It is not the end goal, but it points to the end goal. Life together with God in Christ. Amen.